welcome back to A Piece of My Mind with your host Jeffrey Lawrence Weinstein, a.k.a. Jeffrey Lawrence. This is the season finale, episode 22, and part three of my series on mental illness called Destigmatizing and Demystifying Mental Illness. Um, okay. And uh, before we begin, uh, you uh, two very special guests. First of all, uh, a good friend of mine, um, Mark Spires, who I've known for 35 years. We've been friends for probably uh, 25 years. And he is a mental health advocate and a facilitator and a support group known as uh, Recovery, and um, you can get more information about that on uh, recovery.org. Um, Mark Spires has been um, suffering from uh, post-trauma stress disorder, PTSD, and also uh, very possibly a borderline personality. His uh, border, his uh, personality rather, is uh, on the border of absolute madness. The only problem is um, that border has been closed due to COVID-19 until further notice. Um, and a second guest, special guest, is Phyllis Taylor, who is an amazing and very delightful lady from Toronto. She has a degree in journalism, adult education, and philosophy. She's also a certified wellness coach, public speaker, author, and motivational speaker in the Ontario prison system, uh, particularly dealing with anger management. Um, uh, this uh, episode promises to unmask the reality behind mental illnesses, uh, propose uh, solutions, coping means, coping mechanisms, uh, ways of um, dealing with or recovering from various traumas and uh, mental illnesses, um, depression, anxiety, uh, PTSD, autism, uh, addictions, everything. You name it, we got it. This episode will beg the question, are you for real? Oh, you're Jewish. Okay, I understand, Bubby. Here, have a kichel. It will make you feel better. So I will bring these guests on momentarily. Hey, Mark. How you doing? How you doing? How you doing? Thank you for joining the this episode. And so, the, so we have Mark Spires and just waiting for Phyllis Taylor to come on board momentarily. Yeah. So how you doing? Uh, today was a sort of uh, a little bit of a down day for me. I, I'm recovering from my uh, exercise uh, that I did yesterday swimming. And I have a, uh, I take Synthroid. So it's, uh, it's part of my general mental health uh, uh, awareness that I have to do exercise and things like that. During the pandemic, you know, we were uh, a lot of uh, physical training facilities were shut. 
down. And uh, so I'm now I'm taking advantage of the last two weeks and getting my body back in some semblance of shape. And it's a dirty job, but someone has to do it. Yeah, you know I'm talking about well, that's well, that's your work. I mean, that's uh, that's a job taking taking care of ourselves. Self care is very important for us to be effective in any way. It's both uh, physical and mental. You have to take care of one influences the other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mind body connection. Right. Yeah. So that's what I'm doing. Uh, you know, the, <clears throat> during a pandemic, it's even harder. Uh, you know, the feelings of anxiety and generalized anxiety uh, condition or GAD or uh, things like that is very prevalent in the uh, community at large. And uh, you have to learn coping techniques to uh reduce your stress levels during these acute times. And even if you have a certain conditions previous to the pandemic, uh, you have to, uh, this only exacerbates them. But if you have good coping techniques through the different uh, uh, things that are coping mechanisms that we'll all discuss, uh, you can achieve a, uh, a reduction in your, uh, in your stress profile. Yeah. Okay. You know, and as a facilitator. Okay. I, uh, um, right. Okay. As a facilitator uh, in Recovery uh, Canada, which is uh, not an alcoholic-based uh, uh, support group, but it is based on the teachings of a Dr. Lowe, who was a psychiatrist back in the 30s in Chicago. And he's really one of the forerunners of cognitive behavioral therapy. And uh, Recovery Canada is part of recoveryinternational.org. And uh, they're in uh, all over the, uh, the states in Canada and in many places in Europe and in Israel. And there are groups that meet as support groups. And there's a technique which I'll I'll discuss with you in more detail. And I facilitate a group in Montreal, in central Montreal. There are two English-speaking groups in Montreal, and there used to be two French groups and another English-speaking group all at the same time. But now we're uh, two uh, groups, one on the West Island in Montreal, and I facilitate the one in uh, in NDG, Snowden, uh, Cote St. Luke area. And, uh, you know, during this pandemic, we can't meet face to face. So basically, we are. Good afternoon. We're not meeting face to face. Okay. Hi, good afternoon, Mark. So So I was just uh, I was just uh, ending up on on my description of what I do. So instead of meeting face to face during this pandemic in our uh, recovery uh, support group, we are we have telephone sessions once a week, mm-hmm. not Zoom, but basically telephone sessions where we uh, go through uh, the what is called the recovery method with each other uh, by telephone, and it's uh, very helpful and it's keeping us going and the group going. So that is basically what I do. 
Okay. Okay, so glad to both both have both of you on board, folks. It's Mark Spars and Phyllis Taylor, uh, as I previously uh, introduced them. And um, for this uh, final part three episode of uh, demystifying, destigmatizing mental is part three. This this um, will deal with the coping coping means of coping solutions and help for uh, people who are going through mental health problems, mental health issues, mental health illness, uh, from individual self-help perspective, as well as from community spectrum, and also from a uh, governmental bureaucratic uh, perspective. And I'm gonna go, I'm gonna throw out some statistics. I was just doing some research this afternoon and I found that 2000, 17 in Canada. There were 4,157 reported cases of mental illness. And uh, then later I came up with a statistical, I think probably more recent, that um, there's for rather suicides, 4,157 suicides in 2017, and there's 6,000 suicides yearly in Canada, and the Quebec, by the way, is the third highest province in terms of uh, yearly uh, suicide. It's ninth out of 22 member states of the OECD, Organization of um, Economic Commercial Development. And um, also in 2013, there were um, 1,101 uh, recorded uh, cases of uh, uh, like, uh, suicides or depression, and uh, in any in any given year, one in five Canadians suffer mental illness, and by age forty, it's one in two. So the statistics are rather staggering. Um, as far as for on the autism spectrum which I'm going to get in later on in my own uh, personal journey and experience. In 2018, there were one in 66 children with uh, autism between the ages of 5 and 17. And in Ontario, 135,000 uh, cases on the autism spectrum. Okay. So uh, first of all, we're going to talk about, when we talk about mental health or mental illness, how do we like? How do we? How do we define what mental illness? So, is? are you asking me, Jeffrey? For both, both of you. Well, let me let me Go let on. me just Lord, before, you, before you speak, Phyllis. Uh, why, why don't you introduce yourself, or Jeffrey introduce Phyllis, so the rest of the audience knows uh, the the fantastic Phyllis Taylor. Yeah, I introduced. Yeah, I, I previously introduced Phyllis. Um, by is a um, certified uh, wellness coach and um, very interesting background, as I mentioned back, a uh, degree in journalism, uh, adult education, as well as philosophy, which is a well-rounded um, individual with a very interesting experience and has been working in the Ontario prison system dealing with anger and such. management. 
Yeah. <laughs> so, Mark, did you yeah. want to go ahead and, and define uh, mental illness as you see it from your perspective? Well, as a uh, coordinator of, uh, as I mentioned before, you came on, I was giving a brief description. Uh, I run a, uh, a recovery Canada group in central Montreal. And uh, we deal with issues of such as anxiety, depression, uh, lowered feelings of self, anger management, uh, just a whole range of issues. Uh, we, we do not go into uh, clinical depression and we do not address people who uh, have severe uh, limited mental uh, capacities uh, that are dealt with by either their family doctor or a psychiatrist. Uh, but we act in conjunction with those. Uh, this may be a, an adjunct uh, therapy. It's called the recovery method. Uh, or it may be just the support group uh, for people that basically can handle themselves throughout life but need this as a tool uh, from week to week to sort of, uh, it's a cognitive behavioral therapy and, and, and it helps them get along. And it has been reviewed by the uh, psychiatric, American Psychiatric Association back in the 80s as to the efficacy of this, of this treatment, and they said it, it does work. So mental health, in my opinion, is all those things I mentioned, including PTSD, including, uh, let's say, borderline personality disorder, uh, things of, the, of that nature, which can go from the, uh, if you're looking upon a spectrum, from zero to, to the to 10, uh, to the extreme which would require a psychiatric treatment and maybe even hospitalization and some degree of drug therapy. So mental health is when basically you don't feel right and it's going on for longer than what is generally accepted and it is affecting you in all fields of life in terms of work, relationships. In fact, your own uh, ability to cope with life your stress levels, your the way you manage it, if you're if it's unmanageable, uh, thoughts of suicide, things like that, that is under the, the broad spectrum of mental health. Okay, and Mark, I understand that your work is of a self-help nature. Yes. So you run the self-help groups that assist people who are dealing with all of the uh, illnesses and, and conditions that you're outlining. Except in the most severe cases, uh, we do not seek to replace a psychiatrist or uh, a person that has, uh, you know, drug therapy. Uh, we don't, uh, we're not a substitute. We could be an adjunct. We could be working with a psychiatrist. We could be working with a CLSC, a mental health organization in Quebec, uh, which we have people referred to us. We can be actually referred. We have people that referred to us uh, by parole officers uh, dealing with anger management, and they, they agreed to go to a, a number of ang anger management classes of which anger management is part of our method. So, uh, yeah, so we, we, we deal with all that type of stuff. So I'll talk about what I do, and I was sharing a little bit about uh, my background with uh, Mark and Jeffrey a little earlier, uh, but I have uh, a background of 30 years having worked in a, a, a very large international law firm in Toronto, and after leaving the law firm in Toronto and through a series of circumstances that are quite a, a, exciting to me, but probably not necessarily part of what we're trying to 
to unfold here today, I ended up in the prison system and uh, I have been working in the prison system for the last eight years. And so as such, I work as a, uh, a life coach, so a life and wellness coach, and uh, moreover, a motivational speaker. And uh, I've worked uh, for the last eight years in five different prisons. And the prison that I'm working in right now is a treatment-centric prison. The men who I work with, and I have a, an audience of about 100 men, and it's a weekly attendance that I do on Mondays. Of course, we're, we're on pause right now, like everything else. But uh, the men that I work with are men who have chosen to get into this particular prison so that they can go down a healing path, so that they can develop, they can grow, and so that they have hope. For a better tomorrow. In some cases, in many cases, it's the first time they've ever experienced uh, any modicum of respect. They're taught how to be respected, how to receive respect, and of course, how to give respect. And in my life coaching classes, uh, of course, as uh, Mark and Jeffrey has, have both mentioned, I deal with anger management, but not exclusively. I do a lot of work in the area of anger management. Uh, I've written a booklet on anger management, but I also uh, deal with happiness. So the art of happiness, uh, critical problem solving is a wonderful skill for them, of course. I do uh, substance abuse and as such substance abuse counseling and uh, forgiveness and gratitude and, and mindfulness and positive thinking and, and a, a lot more. So in my work, of course, in the prison system, uh, it's widely known that a lot of uh, the gentlemen that I that I work with have encountered all sorts of mental illnesses. Some of them receive ongoing therapy. Some of them get only the classes that myself and, and others come in to deliver. And, and of course, a lot of them are on medication as well. So there's a whole gambit of things that we deal with. I've also worked uh, with women in a self-help, something similar to yours, Mark, uh, a self-help uh, clinic for women who are struggling with mental illness as well. And I was a part of that on a volunteer basis for about a year. And that's the work I do. Uh, okay, and um, yeah, and besides that, you've you've also done also other work with um, self help and other types. I work of counseling in yes, uh, Jeffrey. Yes, I work. In, actually, I haven't even mentioned this to you, but I've been working uh, extensively in the community. Some of it's under the United Jewish Appeal, uh, but outside of that as well with people who are in struggle during COVID. Of course, uh, when anyone is struggling with any anything at all, I've had uh, several people who are grieving the loss of, of a loved one that's more recent. And of course, there's a struggle there. And then there's a situational depression there. And then you layer that with COVID or any other uh, layering on top of it, and you've you've got a huge struggle. So I've been working one on one with people, uh, mostly on the phone. I've not ventured uh, to do any face to face work in the last well since March thirteenth, when all of this hit the fan here, and um, hopefully making progress and and helping people along. And you know, it's putting one foot in front of the other and taking it one step at a time. Yes, Phyllis, are those uh, counseling sessions covered by the Ontario government? Those one on one. Uh, what I've been doing is gratis. Oh. All of the above, all of the above that I've mentioned so far is gratis. Uh, everything I do in the prison system, I have worked as a volunteer for eight years. 
uh, and I was doing full, uh, two full days a week at one point. All of it has been on a voluntary basis and gratis. The, uh, the source of income that I have is when I work in the synagogue circuit or the retirement homes, community centers and such, and I do public speaking, and those, of course, I'm paid for. You mean to tell me that you can't even get a free meal in prison? I can't get a free meal, that's right. <laughs> I don't yeah. And you know what else? You know what else, Mark? I always tell people it's much harder to get into prison than it is to get out of prison. The kind of stuff I had to go through to get into my very first prison, the 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 interviews and and the um, training that I had to go through, and the police checks. Believe me, when I finally got in there, I thought, "Geez, this is this is a lot of work." I'm surprised that uh, men uh, would let you go. Well, they don't let me go. Snake <laughs> <laughs> out. I, listen, I think I've mentioned it to you. I just adore these people. And I feel the love in there. I mean, when I arrive in a prison, it's like Oprah Winfrey has shown up for the day. And I, I get a lot of love, appreciation, and respect. And, of course, I give it to them. That's how you do it. That's how you get it. That's how you roll. <laughs> well, that's very admirable of you that it's all gratuit. Mm. I mean, you know, it's uh, I. It's wonderful. Uh, I commend you and... My opinion of you is even higher than it was before. Uh, You know what? Actually, I I, I like not to admit, Mm. and I only have mentioned it because you asked me, I actually like not to admit that the work I do is volunteer, uh, but that's the way I've been doing it for the last several years. And Jeffrey? Jeffrey? Okay. Mark and I both watched your... uh, or listen to your podcast that you did at Besidic Synagogue in Toronto, and that was uh, on happiness. And it was a very thank you interesting presentation. Yep. very uplifting with your um, uh, um, presentation, very well spoken and articulate. And the PowerPoint presentation was also very interesting. It's a very interesting almost unique approach to choose around happiness how how to be happy you want me to speak about how to be happy (laughs) yes okay so so let me preface this by saying (laughs) so here here's me speaking um I'm going to preface this by saying that I have done about 24 hours of prep on anger management I'm going to speak about happiness now though um Here's the thing about happiness that I think everybody needs to understand. And when I got the critique from my daughter, who also watched the presentation, and she said, hey, mom, that was fabulous. I thought, well, you know what? It must be okay. Everyone wakes up in the, in the morning, and they kind of say to themselves, you know, kind of orienting ourselves, who am I? Where am I? What's going on in my world? And what's going on in my day? So right now, what's going on in our world is not the best of times. You know how they say it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. Some people are finding this a rather meaningful Mm -hmm. time. Some people are finding purpose in this time. In any event, what's going on in my day, in my world rather, is what orients me to my happiness along with the specifics of the day. So, for example, we wake up today and we realize, okay, we're in a COVID world, but COVID is getting better in Canada. We're feeling a little better. We can go out a little further. We can enjoy some sunshine. Maybe put your toe on the belt. 
balcony. But maybe today I'm going to have a podcast and I'm going to be online with a couple of really nice guys. So that elevates my happiness level. And then I come along and I have my lunch and I enjoy it and that elevates my happiness level. And then something happens and I get a call from somebody and they're sad or, or they're being difficult or they're telling me some bad news or something's pertaining to my own personal life. My happiness meter goes down. I want you to think of happiness as being on a meter of one to ten. And so when we get up in the morning and we orient ourselves and we're sort of kind of sitting there um, with normal he- uh, well health, we're sitting there somewhere between, a, I would say, a four and a six or seven. When we are suffering with um, hunger or pain, uh, grieving, uh, loss of employment, uh, an argument with someone, you know, all of the kinds of things that affect our happiness on a, a longevity or a long term basis, our happiness meter is going down. And as we slide through the day, it goes up and down. The idea is to always have a reserve. So what I mean by that is have the conversations with the friends that you enjoy. Spend the time with the people that you like. Have that good meal. Treat yourself to an extra tomato or two. And, you know, the kinds of things that make you happy, get the movies going. Get the the group that, of course, with, with caution and social distancing – But get the people on the Zoom call, get the people on the conference call, do everything it is to build up your happiness reservoir so that when a bad moment or a bad time hits, you've got something left to cope and you don't end up in such deep despair that leads to hopelessness that you can't dig yourself out of it. And understand and know the tools uh, such as that I was outlining in that particular presentation that are going to add to your happiness all all the different things uh, we all know ourselves best um one of the things i'd love to talk about if you'll give me another moment there is is isolation can i speak about that for a moment so yes, studies sir, show yep. that again this is to do with uh, a relational uh marker for happiness or the lack of happiness studies show that loneliness and isolation are the leading causes of death over and above smoking a pack of cigarette a day over and above heart attack isolation and one of the biggest fastest antidotes for isolation and being a home and being alone is volunteerism so it's probably not an accident that I'm happy, I, as it turns out, because I'm a huge volunteer. But getting out there and doing something and being with people and then finding uh, that you're being validated, finding that your life has meaning and your life has purpose is a great way to build up some happiness points. You know, uh, I'll, I'll put, this is a joke, by the way. You should... Uh... <laughs> You should apply to be a volunteer in one of the federal government's uh, recently proposed uh, programs, which was just shot down, because the volunteers get paid. <laughs> so you get, oh, seriously? No, but not that that has been thrown out. <clears throat> but, uh, I'll take because, that all under advisement. Because volunteerism is essentially what you said. But I guess you're, yes. what you're discussing is if to the own self be true, uh, pamper yourself. Uh, when you feel, I, in, you know, in moments where I feel run down, uh, either due to a physical activity of taking up swimming again or because of stress and things like that, I, I take a mineral bath. And I take like an hour-long mineral bath to relax my muscles, to relax my mind. I keep a, a journal beside me. 
And many times I'm, I write a stress journal and I do it maybe once a week. And I, I, as I'm relaxing and I'm able to focus, I see what stresses happen during the week. And then I look at the list, but it can be 20 entries into that list. I say, no wonder I'm stressed out. No wonder, because that happened to me on Sunday. And that happened to me on Monday. And three things happened to me on Tuesday. And four things exactly. happened to me on Wednesday. No wonder I'm run down. So I like to separate out the physical exhaustion from the emotional exhaustion. I think they're quite different. Uh, I find that when people are feeling physical exhaustion, often sitting down with a cup of coffee or a cup of tea is going to be revitalizing. But when somebody is exhausted from some something that is uh, uh, mentally draining, uh, a big argument with your kid or with your mom or your brother, uh, a friend walking away, you've been insulted, uh, you don't know how you're going to pay the bills – a lot of a lot of uh, us are talking about the these days are talking about mindfulness. So so obviously staying in the moment. And I'm not sure if uh, if you have the same definition, but I say that uh, depression is born out of all the things that were kind of shitty in our past, and anxiety is born out of the, all the kind of things that we worry about and have concern about and suffer uncertainty about in the future. And so. Staying in the now, staying in the present, focusing on what you're doing at the moment. It could be watching a movie. You ever sit down, watch a movie, and your mind wanders? It's going forward. It's going backwards, but it's not in the moment. So bring yourself back out of that. Bring yourself back out of that and stay in the moment. The other things that people find really helpful are yoga uh, and meditation, all of which uh, can be found these days on YouTube and are readily available without cost. Well, you're talking about dialectical behavioral therapy, which incorporates all these things since the 80s. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. It involves cognitive behavioral therapy, too. Yes. And it involves a whole bunch of methods, and they say it's very effective. I know that I'm doing cognitive behavioral therapy, and I'm Mm -hmm. I'm doing uh, emotional uh, EQ. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm looking, I'm I'm sort of doing a... um, I'm reframing, reframing my life in terms of as maybe I'm, I can interpret it another way. I'm trying to create a new a paradigm for myself so that it's not so full of a sorrow. I could view things in a different fashion. Your and, story, yes. Yes, and, and I was uh, listening to uh, a lecture last night on the art of being happy, too. And it seems uh-huh. that you try to look at the positive side of things. So there was an instance where uh, this uh, fellow who was an obstinate child, when he was a child, went up to this uh, very great spiritual leader in the presence of uh, his mother. And in the, uh, and the uh, mother said, I can't do anything with him. And so the uh, spiritual leader said to the son, uh, do you listen to your mother? The, the son said, no. He says, uh, are, you, are you good in school? And the son says, no. Uh, are you going to try and be a better uh, person? Uh, and the son says, no, like he's obstinate. So he turns mm-hmm. to the mother and says, you know something, at least he's truthful. And, and, <laughs> and, 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 and it got to the kid. The kid became, as, a, as he's an adult now, and he's describing that, that experience, he says, I actually got some positive feedback for the first time in my life, and it affected me, and it changed me. 
So, I, you know what, I'd like to also jump in with what you said about EQ, mm-hmm. so the emotional quotient. We all are uh, very familiar with our IQ, and everyone knows the, the intellectual quotient and what that stands for. Not everyone knows what EQ is, and, and I describe that as the ability to manage our emotions so that when the bad stuff happens, we don't overreact and we don't get into a funk as a result of it, and that's your EQ. But there's something else that people don't often talk about, and it's just as equally as important, and that is our SQ. And there are actually two SQs. There is the social quotient, which means the ability to get along in a circle. And so that is critically important to our our health and our wellness because it speaks to people who are getting along in uh, volunteer circles, in uh, circles at work, in uh, social circles and friendship circles. If people are not able to get along, then that's something to really examine as to why and learning the tools that will help them to do that. The, the second SQ is your spiritual quotient, which I also think is, is really important because it speaks about our humanity, our caring about mankind. It's what we do in the COVID times. It's what some of us do in the COVID times, where some people are just trying to turn on the TV and veg. Other people are reaching out and saying, what can I do? Is there anything I can do? Is there any service I can perform? Can I, can I call a friend today? Is there someone that I know that's having trouble getting groceries or even having Uh, someone to speak with because I know that down the hall there's a gal that you know just lost her her dad should I check in on that person those are the kinds of things that bring us up and elevate us to happiness well I think away from depression I think during this pandemic uh, we uh this is a time when we're uh, we're we're seeing a lot of revolutions in social thought and Mm -hmm. we're trying to be more empathetic with one another and this is the time during the pandemic where everything is basically shut down. Well, now it's being a little bit de-quarantined, but uh, mm-hmm. for four months it's been basically shut down. And we're evaluating, we're hearing what other people are saying in, in, in greater detail. We're listening to people more. And we're changing things in our society, systemic racism, we're taking a look at that. We're taking a look at football teams and base and sports teams' names. We're we're looking at our native uh, Indians, at uh, at uh, you know, at different people that we are in a way that we never had the time or the patience to consider their viewpoints. So or the are, desire. Yeah. So now we're undergoing changes, and we're also undergoing changes with ourselves because we're looking at ourselves. We're, some of us are in family situations. I'm not. I'm a single person. But some of us are in family situations, and we have either a greater uh, appreciation of our mate or a lesser appreciation of our mate, depending, <laughs> depending on what's going on there. And uh, either greater patience with our kids or lesser patience with our kids. But it's a great teachable moment because it, I don't think this will happen uh, again in our lifetimes, or at least I hope not, that we're looking at things and evaluating. And we can do that for our mental health too. We can take a step back and say, I'm really going to examine myself and my approach to things. What's causing me stress? What's causing me anxiety? What can I do to, to better cope with things? What can I can I take out of my life that's causing me so much stress? Mm-hmm. What can I ignore? And how can I get greater happiness in my life? And I think that is something, Jeffrey, that is uh, is happening right now. Yeah, a lot of people, well, the people who, well, it's, it's a very introspective 
approach that you're talking about and very conscientious, compassionate, spiritual approach that you're describing. And at the same time, it's very, it's a, it's a very conscious um, way of speaking, conscious approach. And there are not very many people who are on the same level of consciousness as as you're you're um, describing, as you're portraying. And um, also from from wellness perspective, it is the right path, in my view. I mean, that's really on the right track, right path, not to get angry, aggravated, or get go down these emotional rabbit holes. Um, where you don't want to go and it detracts from your happiness. So you're depleting, like Phyllis would see it in terms of a bank, mm -hmm. like a happiness mm -hmm. bank or a joy bank. Depleting, you'd be depleting all your energy in that reserves in your joy bank. And very often, a lot of people just for nothing, just waste it, take it out, deplete it, and waste it. For, for what reason? For no really uh, rational reason. It's to their detriment and the detriment of people who have to live with them and, and friends and the people they have to work with. And the, this, is, this is what happens in the mind around, going around and around in circles. Meditation gets you out, is a, is, a, is a system of mindfulness, gets you out of the whole whirlpool in the mind of emotions and thoughts and beliefs that depend uh, that uh, determine whether we'll be happy or very happy or sad or very sad we extricate ourselves from that emotional realm and really get in touch with well who we really are Jeffrey, I've been paying a lot of attention sense. lately to uh, Facebook and the postings, and uh, it, it is cooling off a bit. I find that, and I don't, I'm not talking about the weather, but I'm finding that as COVID is cooling off and people are starting to resume more of a, a normalcy, that Facebook also is cooling off. But in the beginning, you found a lot of people doing and saying exactly what Mark is referring to, this this meaningful pause where they're looking within and going, how can I be better? How can I get better? How can I help others? And then conversely, what can I do to my, to my own personality, to my own life? And what can I do to be the best possible version of myself? And obviously not everyone's going to do that or capable of doing mm -hmm. that, but there is a lot of self-reflection. People are also making a lot of comments about, well, you know, the social distancing is a great thing. And there's some people that when I'm finished social, social distancing, I'm not necessarily looking for their company ever again. You know, that kind to think that the time is precious and where do I want to spend it and how do I want to spend it a lot of that is being reflected upon you know Phyllis when you go out into what I call the war zone of the pandemic if you go out and you're going to do shopping let's say mm -hmm. and you're putting on your mask and you're trying to practice social distancing but you're wary of anybody coming within six feet of you and you're looking around and you're looking at people and you're sort of on, on, on the lookout and you're anxious. And, you know, you, when you get out of a store, uh, you, you went through a battle. You went through a war zone. And that wears people down and adds to their stress level. Mm -hmm. 
Mark, it's yeah. creepy. It's creepy. Yeah. You're walking into a store. And actually, to share with you, I did it mm-hmm. for the first time. I have really been taking all precautions since March the 13th. And I went into a store for the first time on, I think it was Sunday evening. And I put a mask on and I had a really strong craving for a chocolate bar. Okay, it's out there. And I, I put the mask on. You'd, you'd sure walk that... a mile for a Klondike bar? Well, you know what? <laughs> I have been very good uh, on my plant-based diet, but I thought, you know what? I deserve this, and, and I'm, I'm going to go for it. And so, you know, I, I, I gingerly walked into the store. I looked around as if I was ready to hold the place up. I put my mask on. It looks more like, a you know, criminal behavior. And I made sure that when I went down an aisle, nobody else was there. It's creepy. It is not what we are used to. It is antisocial behavior. It is not conducive to joy and yeah. happiness. It's something yeah. we're getting used to. Yeah. Do, and everyone recognizes yeah. that we're doing it for their protection as well. Well, not not only not only that. I mean, that's just yeah. the, this. Yeah. That's the norm, and it's and it's going to be the norm this way, I guess, for this foreseeable future until there's a vacuum. Yes. So yes. I mean, but yeah, yeah. And um, I can tell you, for the first few weeks, I went. Uh, I was going for groceries <laughs> early in the morning. And you're not even a senior, shopping. Jeffrey. So shopping was seven, seven, eight. And I mean, I, I'm not 65 <laughs> yet, but I could easily pass for 65. I'll take your word for it. See what stress does. And, and uh, I mean, you know, they saw the, the, the air, you know, so... I mean, nobody, there's no question. So, but I, what I found was um, senior shopping is really senility shopping because the people like who are so nervous, like I was standing maybe eight feet away from this woman and she's waiting me for me to move so she can look at some dairy products that she wanted to buy. So I, I let you going, you're going, you know, okay, okay, relax, I'm going, you know. And and then there's this other thing with, mind you, this wasn't during the senior shopping house, but, you know, one. Yes, yes, the directional. On the floor, you know, that's the wrong way. Down one that's way a punishable day. crime, you know, uh, Jeffrey. You way. should be fined and locked up in one of Phyllis's <laughs> prisons. You know. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, at least I look on the bright side when I see that. I said, at least the good thing about this is that I can't get lost in stores because there's always arrows pointing that to where true. I should go. That is true. It, it reminds uh, me of IKEA. Our IKEA stores here in Ontario are all have had those arrows on. I don't know that people follow them, but they're helpful. Why don't we have arrows like that to point us the right way in life? Well, that's a good. That's very good. I, it reminds me of something that one of my uh, at one of my first seminars for women uh, when I finished it, and, and it was uh, mind over matter, positive thinking. And uh, at the end of that, uh, I had a question and answer s- session, and one of the women said, "Where were you when I was growing up? Why wasn't there someone there to tell me that I had a choice?" And I think that's a really, really important message is to understand that we always have a choice. We have a choice about what we eat and what we do, how we spend our time, who we spend our time with, and just how much we want to get better. 
And when you're dealing with and speaking with people who are suffering with depression and mental illness and all, all these things that are challenging, what are you willing to do? How much work are you willing to put in? Are you willing to see the doctors, try the medications, get the therapy, try the tools? Because there's so much out there. There's so much out there and nobody needs to suffer in silence. You know, um, part of what I think uh, depression is and anxiety, it's a, it's, it's a mindset. It's a loop. It's a loop that keeps repeating itself. It's a loop that says to the person, you don't have options. You can't get out of the, your way of thinking. This is the way your life is, and, you ha- and, and it repeats itself. That's, that's, that's rigid thinking. And to open that's up... That's detrimental self-talk. Yeah. And to open up and to break through that is not so easy as you think the initial, the initial step to break through that. Yeah. It, it becomes easy after. So... In, in, in the recovery method, which I'm going to describe to you, by Dr. Abraham Lowe, uh, he has a seminal book called Mental Health Through Will Training. He's written a, a few other books. And in it, he describes uh, a method using SPOTS, S-P-O-T-S, simple phrases to overcome tension and stress. So, it's basically to implant in your brain, in your thoughts, uh, certain sayings that will help you to overcome any stressful situation you, f- you find yourself. I'm going to read one or two or three of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them is, is a basic. Uh, treat your mental health as a business and not a game. So when you feel that you're getting depressed and you feel or, or this is an anxiety-producing situation, Okay, I have to work myself down. I have to treat my mental health as a business, which may be taking a mineral bath, you know, in lovely Epsom salts. I put lavender and I put bath oil in. You know, I I, I pamper myself. So that's one way. Uh, Mental Mm -hmm. health could be uh, swimming. It could be uh, talking to a friend. It could be Mm -hmm. uh, humor. It could be uh, anything that gets your mind off that loop. Another one is humor is our best friend. Temper is our worst enemy. Mm -hmm. So temper is described by Dr. Lowe as uh, temper is uh, anything that is an anger or anxiety producing situations. For example, he describes everything as outer environment and inner environment. So anything around you could be your friend. It could be a loved one. It could be the pandemic. It could be anything. Once you find that your mental health is going down, you don't build a bridge from the outer environment, what's happening there, to your inner environment, which should be calm and peaceful, and you're trying your best to keep it calm and peaceful, and so you, you, you don't build a bridge. Don't let the outside world get into your inner world, okay? The toxic outside world, yeah. Anything. Anything that uh, and a, a person's opinion of you. A, a relationship that isn't going well with you. You achieve your own inner peace, and there are ways to do that. Feelings are not facts. You do things in part acts. Then don't be overwhelmed by everything. Pace yourself. Do things as you see fit, as you can do it. You're always trying to de-stress yourself. Replace an insecure thought with a secure thought. Huge, yes. Very, you know. Uh, you hurt feelings are just beliefs not shared. 
So you may think that the person should recognize your hurt feelings. Maybe it's an unreal expectations of what the other person can empathize with you. You shouldn't base your self-worth on what the other person thinks of you. You should base your self-worth on what you think of you. And you should always be upping your self-worth because you're treating your mental health as a business and not a game. Okay? Helplessness is not hopelessness. All right? So everything is done to work yourself down. If you say, if something happens, you're monitoring your mental health. It's cognitive behavioral therapy. He's one of the forerunners. You, 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 you implant it in your brain. So if something happens, you, one of these sayings comes to your mind. And that is called the method. So we practice the method. We give each other the examples of what was stress producing in the previous week or recently. And then we, the other people, then do give this person spots, these, these phrases, these simple phrases, to help them be aware of what they can use for themselves in those situations. And very often it's very helpful. And the people thank each other for that. So this is basically the recovery method. And people who want to know about this should go to, uh, in Canada, uh, recoverycanada.org. And if they're in the States, recoveryinternational.org. And you'll find all the tools and all what, it, what the method is. And you can find a group maybe in your local area because they're all over the place. Uh, and uh, yeah, so I find this very helpful. I do this in conjunction with other therapies, for example, like emotional, my emotional, you know, quotient. Uh, I do things like uh, introspection, looking at the inner self, which is not part of recovery. But it, it, it is part of recovery because you're treating your mental health as a business and not a game. Yeah, it's a very serious business because it's, it's the one building block and foundation of, of wellness. Without uh, emotional and mental wellness, what can we accomplish? How do we spend our day? How do we get out of that? How do we interact with others? It's a fundamental core of health and well-being. Absolutely. Mindfulness is part of it, I suppose. Uh, you know, if you practice oh, yeah. that. You know, something about meditation. Uh, meditation is fine, and it works with me. But I have to be calm, or get calm, or be instructed to get calm before I start meditating. So in other words, I have to meditate before I start meditating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, well, are I'm you familiar like, with uh, the breathing exercises? Yes. That Yeah, so everybody has their own kind of... Uh, rhythm for that, but uh, you know, I you follow... know when I use those, fills, you know when I use those uh, breathing uh, uh, exercises. Uh huh. When I'm driving my car uh, before the pandemic, and people are about to cut me off or they're on my bumper, I'm deep breathing. Yes, I'm deep breathing while I'm driving, uh, in order for me not to cut the other guy off and give him the finger. Mm -hmm. I am mm -hmm. deep breathing and resting <laughs> as I'm driving with these horrendous traffic conditions in Montreal. Well, the breathing that I subscribe to yeah. is under the guidance of Dr. Andrew Weil, who's fairly yes. well-renowned. Mm -hmm. And his uh, guidance says to breathe in deeply through your nose to the count of seven, to hold your breath to the count of four, and then to exhale slowly through your mouth to the count of eight and then repeat. And I find that even doing that once is a, uh, a fabulous 
calm technique that he uses it on panic attacks. He's even used it with heart attack uh, patients. And, and uh, apparently he's had resounding results. You know, when you, but, but you know, when you start deep breathing, when you, when you're putting, when when you're being put through an MRI machine and they tell you don't breathe heavily and then you start (laughs) breathing to calm yourself down. (laughs) Then you get stuck in the MRI machine. They tell you, I suppose they tell you they don't want movement, so they tell you not to breathe. <laughs> not sure what they mean. But uh, I, I'd love to uh, to talk about, I don't know how our time is going, but I'd love to talk about it's some of It's going the fabulously. All right. Well, um, can I share a story with you gentlemen about Tony? Uh, Tony is someone that I came across in the prison system. I'd love to tell you about my experience with him because it really set me off on uh, a path of teaching anger management with confidence. I was uh, teaching a, I think it was an eight-week course. I have ri- I written the uh, the manual on anger management for a prison here in Ontario. And after delivering about six weeks of this uh, eight-week course, Tony said to me, you know, you know what, I, I like you a lot, but... Uh, you know what, this this really isn't for me. Now, I had 12 men who were mandated by the courts who had to take an anger management course. That was where I came in, stage left. And they had to get a certificate signed by me that they had taken this course. So they were very angry men. And uh, I, I'm in a room alone with these men in a particular, it's a high security <laughs> men's prison and I've got a panic button. And he says to me, nope, this isn't for me. And I said, well, you know what, Tony, can you just, can you give me a minute here? Can, can you work with me here? 12 angry men and 11 are listening. And he says to me, yeah. I said, well, can you give me an example of, of when your anger really reached the top? And uh, with anger, when I talk about the anger meter, when your, your anger goes over a 10 on the, on the meter of one to 10, you're out of control. You're out of control. It's bringing about consequences. And these consequences uh, have really bad uh you know, really bad results. So he says to me, well, you know what, I have, a, I have an auto body shop. And uh, I told my apprentice that uh, I'm going for lunch and I don't want him to touch a car because if he breaks the car, if he touches the car, he's going to break the car, I'm going to break his neck. I said, well, what happened? He said, well, I went for lunch, I came back, he touched the car, he broke the car and I broke his neck. And I said, well, well, well hold on a second here, Tony. I said, I, I hear you. But let me ask you a question. Now, we're six weeks into this, so I already have a fabulous rapport with this guy. And he said, I said to him, what if, what if the same story, the exact same story, but I was your auto mechanic? I said, you come back and, and you told me not to touch the car, but you came back and I just I couldn't help myself. I was trying to help you. I said, you're going to break my neck? He said, oh, no, no, no. I said, well, Tony, what if it was your mom? He says, oh, no, no, I don't touch my mom. I said, well, thank you so much. You have just proven to all of us that through the anger and the escalation of anger, the explosion of anger, you have a nanosecond in there where you can stop and think, do I want to act out? Because there are going to be consequences, and some of those consequences are going to be very unfortunate and not what you want to invite into your life. He proved that to me that day, and he proved it to all of us. And I think that Tony's story proves to us that there is a lot that we can do for ourselves, even though we're telling ourselves we can't. 
Yes, it, it's 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 basically uh, if you have a low self-esteem, okay. There's a person in our group that I mean, there's many in our group that have low self-esteem. Of course, it's it's part of it all. Yeah, and and through the method, the recovery method, we're we're, we're giving you like you know, um, don't be a doormat for anybody. That's another uh, spot. Simple uh, phrases to overcome tension and stress. You don't have to be a doormat. You don't have to be an angel or a demon to anybody. Don't let anybody step over you. Uh, you can assert yourself. You wrote something about being assertive as a proactive uh, condition of, uh, of, of uh, anger management. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can, you, can you get into that, being assertive? Okay, so there's a huge difference between assertiveness and aggression. With uh, aggression, we are acting out, and aggression is a behavior. And it is not something that people like to see, and it's not something that, that people really want to experience with and of themselves. But anger is an emotion. And if, what was your original question? I'm sorry, Mark. What would I? When a person has low self-esteem, assertiveness, standing up so, for so, oneself is very okay. beneficial. So with assertiveness, first of all, a lot of things happen in our head. Most everything happens in our head. A lot of times, uh, I can remember a story about when I was in a large group of, of women and uh, we were having coffee and I left to go to the washroom. Quickly tell you this, I came back and there was total silence. And I thought, oh my God, they're talking about me. But they weren't talking about me. What they were doing was planning my birthday lunch. And so a lot of the things that go on in our head, the self-talk, the negative self-talk, is interpreting, negatively interpreting, and making assumptions that people are out to get us, that they are talking badly about us, that what they said they meant in, in a, a negative or converse way. And so if we can just check it out with people, firstly, we have to remove the, the self-talk, the negative self-talk that goes on in our head, because uh, we build an anger all by ourselves, which gets a huge steam. And so instead of, I, I, I say to the men when I have these anger management classes, if you can tell me that you will take the foul language out of your self-talk, because we've got tremendous foul language in the prison system, as you can imagine. And if they would just, I've actually done an experiment where I asked them to take the negative foul language out of their self-talk. They were still allowed to have negative thoughts, but just take the foul language out of the negative talk. We had an experiment where 12 men said they would try it. Seven came back and had tried it. And of the seven, five reported a lifting of their anger just through that. So we want to be able to express ourselves. We want to be able to express ourselves with respectful, calm, polite languaging. So that when we have a thought that's negative, what we respond with is not a negative abrupt statement back to cut somebody off, to hurt them, to assume that they are trying to hurt us, but rather to come back and say, I'm wondering if you could say more. I'm wondering if you could explain more about what that comment means. I'm questioning and I just want to check it out with you. What were you trying to say or trying to tell me? Because I want to make sure I'm not taking it the wrong way. So expressing ourselves with a lot of respect, which is what gets respect, with a lot of politeness, calm tone, and just saying, what was that all about? 
rather than going right to aggression, which is going to have a negative outcome and consequences. Well, we have a spot in recovery. It says temper is blindness to the other side. Uh, Sometimes we can't see the other side. We don't even want to consider what the other side is. We just assume what the other side is. And maybe that person is having a bad day. Maybe the person is not expressing them properly. Maybe there's things that are happening in a person's life we don't understand and are not aware of. So, in other words, don't have temper. Try to be as objective as you can, and some things will actually seep through. Now, in terms of standing up for oneself, Jeffrey has made great strides in standing up for himself and addressing his own uh, particular uh uh, I, I, on the uh, on the spectrum, the on the uh, well, you go into it, Jeffrey. Which what, what you've done for yourself? Yeah, um, it was about I guess it goes back to 2017, 2018. I I suspected that I was I was Asperger's, and um, on on the spectrum. And it really, really explained a lot of things that that happened to me before in my past, many years ago when I was a lot younger, of things of how I was perceived, how I came across, and why I didn't get certain jobs, why I never did that well in interviews, and why I struggled with certain things, certain issues, psychologically, emotionally, socially, and all these different levels. So it affects mm-hmm. different, different levels. Um, I find very often autism, the autism spectrum, like Asperger's, can be uh, confused with or, or misconstrued as just uh, a personality Or intellect, disorder, which is not necessarily always. Oh, yes. Or, right, or borderline personality or some, some intellectual deficiency, mm-hmm. um, which, which has happened. I mean, I have a master's degree, and, and one in one interaction, one conversation, I someone I, he was actually surprised that I even had a master's degree because I did socially I didn't come across as someone who would that was certain you know in, in his certain mind in his mind a certain concept of, of how a person with that level of education should come across should act in a social situation. I was never really was never good in social situations. I was never good with small talk, with uh, chit chat. And um, all the past, and I explained, and I understood why it's very possible. And then, in a conference in 2018, the summer of 2018, um, where I met and became friends with a forensic psychiatrist by the name of Doctor Raymond Moody. Well, the famous Doctor Raymond Mark's Moody. Probably, wow. You probably heard of him, Mark. Wow. Um, the famous. I love Dr. the name. <laughs> Raymond well, he did a lot Moody of studies on, on death, I believe. Right? Death or on dying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was going to say he wrote, he's written books on uh, the afterlife, books and articles on the I afterlife. I didn't know he was still alive. So keeps writing, keeps writing, yeah. and lecturing and giving seminars. And uh, he, so it wasn't the first time he came to this particular conference, but. I had originally met him in 2012. Then in 2018, I got to speak with him and, and get to know him better personally. And we connected. The things with Raymond Moody, he, he um, uh, admitted to wow. me that he also he has Asperger's. And he cannot, some, he, he can't tie his own shoelaces. He can't use a computer. Oh he can't drive. 
Um, mm-hmm. It's to that. It's to that extent. So, but he is brilliant. A brilliant speaker. Brilliant mind. He was a philosophy professor before he went into medicine. And he also worked, interestingly enough, oh. I mentioned this, he also worked in the prison system as a wow. forensic psychiatrist. <laughs> so he's experienced dealing with yes, yes. hardened criminals mm-hmm. in the United States. He lives, he's from Alabama. So very charming fellow and very, very interesting to listen to. He's, he's got a great intellect. And so at a certain point in, in our conversation, he said to me, Jeffrey, you have Asperger's. <laughs> so he recognized it. I mean, one, one person <laughs> in that condition could more, more easily, especially because he, you know, he had, had such a medical background, um, he, he recognized that in me, which the first time I was, I felt like I was validated. I, I was like, okay, thank you. You just, it's like you just given me Defines a gift. your, your uh, explains and, um, your struggles over all these years. So, yeah, but that confirmed it, it validated it. And I was, it's like, it was like I was, I was confirmed. And, you know, we have, we have great relationship. I can't, he doesn't use computer. I can't contact him by computer. He doesn't use computer. He doesn't use the internet. He has everybody do everything for him. And uh, I, we connected again a few months later when he did a, a seminar on the uh, on afterlife. Because Jeffrey, Jeffrey and, uh, runs uh, there's one. There's one incident. Yeah. Let me finish. There was one incident. I was going to say there was one incident where during the break where I was almost like literally looking in the mirror. He was holding a cup of coffee, clumsily spilt the coffee on the carpet and felt like very odd and awkward and kind of stupid and had to go and and clean it up. And uh, my initial initial thought, my immediate thought was, okay. (laughs) I look not exactly (laughs) like something I would have done. Uh, Jeffrey runs an institute in Montreal with his loved one, Judy. Uh, it's, uh-huh. it's a spiritual institute. What do you call it, Jeffrey? This is the True Life Path Institute. And both of them are psychics. September 2011. And, and, and now, what Jeffrey did, and yeah. tell me where I'm wrong. I want you to tell you in your own words. When you discovered you had Asperger's, you came out with it publicly on Facebook, mm-hmm. on a post, you, you it, it was an opening yeah. for you. It was something yeah. that uh, freed you up, and then you decided to do some comedy on the side. Oh. Yeah, and actually, it was about almost a year later, in May of 2019, and really, I was going through a kind of what I like to call like a, a post. Sounds like an awakening, Jeffrey. Crisis. Um, yeah, it, I in in res, yeah in a respect. Although I did have I did have two awakenings already. I had I had one. It, my first one came when I was twenties, and I had I was going through an emotional crisis. And, and the second one was when I had um, a near fatal accident Oof. with my car smashing into a train, and there was because was you like, were listening to the Doobie Brothers experience. too much. 
Okay. <laughs> that was the second. Well, that was my second awakening. Actually, I was listening. I was listening to there you go. Uh, a CD of James <laughs> Taylor. That'll put you to sleep at the time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I hope it wasn't a heavy train, Jeffrey. I mean, yeah. are we talking? Yeah. About, <laughs> that's a terrible experience. And he survived. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was a, oh, good God. It was a freight train. A freight train. So, I, you know, the um, shaman told me later after, uh, uh, well, my partner Judy asked everybody who was psychic, like, asking them about the, what does this mean? What does this mean? And one, one response we got from a shaman that we knew, um, uh, that we, we, we went to one of her, um, sem- um, like, uh, sessions. She said it's initiation. She she hers was she she actually drove off a oh. cliff driving a pickup truck. Initiation into what? Initiation. So, sight into sort sort of like an awakening, you might say, kind of like an awakening. initiation into um, the spiritual journey, and, and that's yeah, a hell of an awakening, deeper level. <laughs> But you, yeah. you decided to become a comic. Yeah. So, at the time when I was going through this kind of crisis of turning sixty, of like I was approaching my birthday, turning sixty, I had I was going through different emotions that, and I had to I was emoting more and more and more and more, and uh, you know, <laughs> and, and driving Judy crazy. Uh, and uh, so I actually was through an open mic music performance that I realized, well, I should be actually doing this in stand-up, com- uh, stand-up comedy. So I, then I started, so I started material, my material, I talk about like Asperger's or... Um, oh, uh, it's in, a wonderful way of, and, you know, if you're feeling any awkwardness about something or any shame over something, it, tell, standing in your truth is power and uh, it's it's just so uh enlightening and it's uh it's something that, that can take you uh into a whole other realm well jeffrey is do you, yeah. you describe yourself as the yeah. artistic comic so i i start initially i started this thing like the good calling myself the good comedian which i got the idea from this TV show um, that's on uh, Hulu, I think. Yes, um, yes. The Good Doctor, which is the spectrum psychosis, called myself the good comedian, and this card's a good comedian. And then eventually I just I sort of more. That's a out fabulous that show and, if uh, anybody is listening. Uh, the Good Doctor uh, deals with a doctor by the name of Sean, I forget his last name, who has autism, uh, is on the spectrum, and is also brilliant when it comes to medicine. It's just a fascinating uh, watch. It's just wonderful. Do you know who else has autism, who has Asperger's? Sheldon uh, from the Big Bang Theory. That's the, that's the, the way the whole series is based on. Sheldon oh, has Asperger's syndrome. That's in real what, life? No, well, not in real life. I mean, yeah, in real life, in terms of the of, of the comedy uh, series, oh. he uh, is based on a character that yeah. has Asperger's syndrome. I thought it was OCD. Yes. Uh... No, Asperger's, and 
it's it just shows you that Sheldon doesn't pick up on the cues. Uh, yes, so, that's so right. Fast. No empathy. Yeah. Well, he has empathy, but it, it just doesn't pick up on the cues, and he seems mm-hmm. spaced out sometimes, or he's involved in his own thoughts. And you can be on the Asperger syndrome from zero to ten. So, oh, for uh, sure. You know, so uh, whatever. But yeah. uh, but uh, Jeffrey Jeffrey uh, doesn't yeah. act, and it's helped him emote. Mm-hmm. It's helped him become more of a conversationalist. Because he was so into himself, I, I I've known Jeffrey for like thirty years, and I never could put my put my finger on it. I said, "There's something I can't put my finger." He doesn't seem to talk that much, or he has difficulty. <laughs> you know, he has diff- But when he does his comedy, yeah. am I right, Jeffrey? You're emoting more. You, it frees you up. Yeah, it's more. It's an extra version. Uh, very often, a lot of introverted people are going to comedy is way more, you know, a- extroverted people don't typically want to do stand-up comedy. It's more introverted people who may have been gone through a pain in the past or hurt. These are the ones who want to get up or interested in going up and, and doing open mic for an open mic to, to do this. Stand-up comedy very often it's really uh, very funny, but I found through this it was more easily easy for me to be more extroverted and more open up and not not care uh, about what I say or what other people think of what I say. Um, this and I was going to say that this autism. What what I discovered was this. Um, it has to do with neurological development of your brain. So like one part of the brain is developed, was overdeveloped, another part of your brain, emotional social Which is why we see the, the savant, underdeveloped. Uh, right? Like as in uh, Rayman. Yeah. Yeah, which is on an mm-hmm. extreme, mm-hmm. that's more in the extreme end of the spectrum where he, he cannot, he has very little, if any, social communicative capabilities. But this in Asperger's, it's not really, it's not typically Asperger's though. It's more, not, not typically Asperger's um, for the most part, there's an extreme end of it. But this, uh, most Asperger people, just they are high, more average developed intellectually um, or spiritually, and then and less developed socially. Yeah. In, uh, socially well, you've actually just proven something to me, Jeffrey, that yeah. I have. And if uh, you have listened to my happiness seminar, uh, I talk about extrovertedness versus introvertedness, and I am very clear and very sure, and studies show mm-hmm. that uh, being an extrovert is a tool for happiness. And it isn't necessarily something people mistakenly think, well, I, you know, I'm born an extrovert and I, I stay an extrovert. Or conversely, I'm born an introvert and that's the way I have to go through life. Not so. We can actually learn these tools. And the studies show that people who practice extrovertedness, even though it's awkward, even though it's difficult, even that it, it feels unnatural to them, when they practice it, they feel better and they come away knowing that they have done something that's a little awkward for them, that it, but it is something that they can develop. 
And uh, when you are involved and engaged as an extrovert is in a conversation, in a social, around the table, when you are engaged, you get so much more out of it. And I'm sure that that's common sense, but something that's worth pointing out. Well, it's a little bit like uh, uh, fake it until you make it. Like uh, I know uh, exactly. It's, it's like laughter therapy. You go, you you can go to a laughter therapy session, and I know one person, uh, Pam, in Montreal, uh, that uh, facilitates that or goes to these things, uh, and she's a comedian too. She decided to become a comedian. Uh, she, uh, when you go to these laughter therapy, you may not be particularly in a laughing type of mood, but once you get into uh, a session with uh, eight or ten or twenty people, and they all start laughing. Guess what? It's contagious, and you start laughing too. And you can't be sad at the same time. It it, it alleviates your sadness. You, right. Your sadness disappears, and you're laughing with everybody else. So humor is our best friend. Mm. Uh, humor is a great, yeah. great way of people who are depressed or uh, feeling anxious. Go onto Facebook, become a member of different sites, of humor sites. You see one joke and start laughing. Watch the late night uh, shows on TV and you'll see these hosts and you'll start laughing at the jokes. Just get your mind into a humor frame of mind. It's also a very healing experience. And I must mention a few things before this session ends. Uh, you know, there's tools uh, for mental health. Uh, Canada has recognized... Uh, in the last uh, month and a half or two months, that people have uh, mental health issues because of this pandemic in, 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 in ways that uh, did, it didn't exist before. Mm-hmm. So there's a, an app called Wellness Together Canada. And if you download that app, there are so many tools and videos, and every uh, few weeks they send you a self-assessment uh, questionnaire, and they can put you together with the free counseling sessions, in Montreal, there's a free counseling sessions offered, I think, one to three sessions by the Argyle, A-R-G-Y-L-E Institute. Uh, there's a few sessions, uh, you know, free counseling sessions by other organizations uh, done by Skype or uh, done by Zoom. Uh, there's another, uh, there's another uh, let's say, go on the Internet and find out Hudol, H-U-D-D-O-L. They're a mental health uh, uh, facilitator. There's another one called No Shame on You, and you is spelled with a U, not Y-O-U, but with a U, No Shame on You. There's many, many tools mm-hmm. out there that one can avail themselves uh, on, uh, you know, to to basically uh, treat their mental health as a business and not a game. Because, mm-hmm. you know, you don't want to let yourself slide. Everybody has it in their uh, facility in their strength to not let them slide into despair. You have to be proactive. You can't, you have to change your rigid thoughts of what you think life is, what you think your capabilities are. And I just want to say something here. I have here called the social readjustment rating scale. And the things, life events that really, I'll, I'll just do rankings of uh, one to 10. It goes to rankings of one to 43. Uh, the, the biggest one is death of a spouse. The I'm sorry, what was that, Mark? The, the biggest uh, life event that causes the most stress, and, 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 and so it's, it's, this is the social readjustment rating scale. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It's death of a spouse, second comes yes. divorce, third uh-huh. is marital separation, fourth is a jail term, 
Uh, fifth is death of a close family member. Sixth is personal injury or illness. Seventh, uh, marriage is a big one. Fired at work, marital reconciliation, and the last one is retirement. So these are all changes that can produce in one's lifestyle that can produce the most amount of stress. So, uh, you know, when you're dealing with things like this, and this is in common with, with everybody out there that goes through there, it's an average thing, we call that average in the recovery method. Don't think of yourself as the only one undergoing all these stresses. There are thousands and millions of people out there that all over the world that are dealing with these once they, you know, come into contact, once they experience these things. What you have in your power and what everybody has in their power is be, don't underestimate your own ability to cope with things, to change your thoughts, to work yourself down, to get a rational mind, to pro be proactively taking care of your own mental health. You can do it, people. You have to have the willpower to do it and develop your willpower. Say to yourself, I can do this. And I will do this in spite of whatever is out there. I will and I can do these things. That's great, Mark. Yeah, that's uh, that's it. very inspiring. And um, I also wanted to mention that I... I do have a YouTube a comedy uh, YouTube channel that I started um, for the reasons that you mentioned. It's a, a means of um, for helping people to lighten up and um, healing. I think that it would be helpful, especially during these times of uh, highly stressful times of being healing. A lot of it had to do more recently with uh, COVID humor. And also, it's um, and some of it is just uh, vi videos of a few of my acts in, in different uh, venues that that I uh, performed in. Also, so it's um, a YouTube ca channel called Yellow Glasses Comedy. Because Jeffrey wears all types of colored glasses, even in real life, <laughs> he wears blue ones, yellow ones, sparkling ones. Who knows? All different types of glasses, right, Jeffrey? <laughs> I would just like yeah, to mention yeah. one other thing that we actually didn't touch on this afternoon that might be helpful. And uh, it would be knowing your triggers. And I know that that's probably something you've spoken about in the past, thought about, and that you talk about in your self-help groups. Uh, but understanding and knowing your triggers, understanding that uh, what might re-traumatize you, what discussions, what words, what, what stories, what movies, what books might uh, re-traumatize or even be a trigger and staying away from those things or recognizing that it's happening and then moving away from them or understanding that you have been triggered and taking the appropriate. And like you talk about, Mark, not letting it slide, but taking the action and taking it immediately. Well, we, can't, we describe that in recovery as trigger spotting. So the, the purpose of the method is to ingrain in your head certain spots. You don't have to have all hundreds of spots. Uh, you know, uh, you have maybe two or three default spots that, go to, that you go to. It's ingrained in your head. It immediately comes to mind when you're stressed. 
Mine is treat your mental health as a business is not a, not a game, and don't let the outer environment infiltrate your inner environment. By you talk about so okay. I, when, when I when I'm in a stressful situation, I say, I say oh, oh oh, and it comes to mind immediately. That's cognitive behavioral therapy, and that's part of the recovery method. Do you talk? Do you ever talk about or touch on safe words so that if you have um, it isn't something you use in a social circle because people are non-compliant. But if you have a, a partner, a, a spouse and or a close friend, brother, perhaps sister, and you know that you're getting into dangerous territory where it's going to lead you down a bad path, either to an argument uh invoking anger or it's going to lead you into a depression uh episodic series then a safe word you know something between the two that says okay we're not going to go there let's not even talk about it and we move into another down another path well you know the whole thing is uh, there used to be a saying you don't talk Uh about politics politics religion or sex right i like all three okay i know you do (laughs) And, and you know what? I like, for me, one or two out of three ain't bad. The point is, the point is that, you know, you try to avoid, and you see on the internet, people ripping themselves apart. Oh, yes. Oh, on yes. political discussions. Oh, my God. It's like, it's like a war. It's a war yes. zone there. Uh, so I avoid those discussions. You know, I'm almost tempted sometimes to make a comment. If I'm on those sites, maybe I can make a comment. And I think, I say, no. No, 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 because they'll, they'll start attacking me. Even, you know, if I, yep. even if I say, calm down, people, or, you know, we should be happy, spiritual individuals, they'll attack me. What do you mean we should be happy? Mm-hmm. Why should we calm down? Exactly. So, you know, you have the free will not to involve yourself in the situation. If, you go to, if there is a family function and you feel that you're always going to be drawn into something there, and it's going to make you feel uncomfortable. You actually have as one of your options not to go to the family function. Absolutely. Especially if it's going to bring about illness. Right. Because your mental health mm-hmm. is your primary goal. That's the goal that you have. To, it's always an equilibrium. It's an equilibrium to what you experience, what you know you experience, past hurts. For example, in recovery, we're not responsible for our previous upbringing. That's our background, okay? We may have a, we, Dr. Lowe calls it a weak immune system. We're not, uh-huh. if we brought up by people, you know, the people that uh, didn't hug their families or, or, or tough love or we were, we were not respected or we were actually abandoned through a divorce or things like that. Any level of abuse. Any we level don't, of abuse. We're not responsible for that. What we have Correct. to do is to hear it now and to overcome that. Not deny it, that it happened. But overcome that through positive thoughts, change your thoughts. And by the way, in the lecture I heard last night, they say that people who think positively live statistically 15% longer than people who don't. Unquestionably. Unquestionably. You know, it's interesting when you talk about that. Mm. I get uh, sometimes I'll get Mm. a man in, in prison and they want to tell their story by way of explanation of their behavior. And then they kind of stop themselves and they say, hold on, I know my story is better than some and worse than others because they have pretty much across the board suffered some level of abuse, whether it's sexual, emotional, financial, uh, spiritual, any any and all of the above. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they love to talk about it. I love to hear about it. But we have to move forward. Exactly what you're saying. We can't rely upon excuses. We have to build a future based on what the tools are 
and the resources that we have now. And you know, when Jeffrey and I are, I guess, of like mind, because I, uh, just before coming on with this discussion, I, I, I researched uh, uh, suicide rates and uh, people calling suicide hotlines during this pandemic. Mm-hmm. And so I posted like a few of them on my Facebook page. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, it says for every 1% increase in employment, there's a 1% increase in suicide rates. And that people in this pandemic are not handling it better or worse, uh, mm-hmm. except that it's of a longer generation, uh, you know, a longer duration, and it may <laughs> affect people uh, because now you have teleconferencing too. And I heard from a psychologist that he discovered that it is almost as effective in counseling by tele- Zoom or Skype or whatever as seeing the in, uh, a person in person, and that the majority now of psychiatrists are actually doing a teleconferencing because mm-hmm. I guess they can't see the person uh, you know, in person, but they're incorporating this now more than ever. So it cuts down people's uh, time in traveling to their psychiatrist or psychologist or social worker, and it's almost just as effective. The only thing I, is, I, I agree wholeheartedly. That, that they say that sometimes they can't to extend the hand to comfort them on the back, let's say a pat on the back. Mm-hmm. They can't do that by teleconferencing. And sometimes the person has to run to a, a little area in the house if they're living with somebody and do it in a bathroom or, you know, down in their car because they don't want the, the rest of the family to hear what they have mm-hmm. to say in private. But mm-hmm. basically uh, the way this pandemic is, is that we are more aware of, 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 trying to treat our mental health as a business and that it is an issue. It's an issue for everybody out there. Everybody should be doing something to, to better their mental health in this pandemic right now. And it is not a crime. It's not a sh- something we've been saying you shouldn't be ashamed of it. Well, now you really shouldn't be ashamed of it because everybody in the world is under anxiety and depression. <laughs> so everybody needs to treat their mental health properly. Well, I couldn't concur more wholeheartedly. That's just it, That's just it. That's how the stigma of mental illness is just evaporated through this crisis. So it's become destigmatized, and it's being more people are wanting to get help and more and information and understand Share what it. all this is. There is no shame. Right. Because everybody, yeah. is, yeah. if you're not experiencing some type of mental distress, then you're a llama in Tibet on a 3,000-foot uh, mountain, and you're probably ordering in. Oh. <laughs> you, know, you know, I mean, you know, unless you're halfway between heaven and earth, you know, and you're on the ascension to heaven, everybody is bothered by this. Everybody is disturbed by whatever is going on, and everybody on some has level. to protect their mental health. Yes, on some level, for sure. So I thank everybody for this wonderful discussion. Thank you, Jeffrey, for your uh, podcast. I think we all gave each other a piece of our minds. <laughs> it's wonderful. That's, that's, thank you very much for inviting me on. It's yeah. been, just been a wonderful experience. Yeah, so thank you for uh, joining me on this um, part three to, to wrap up the, the final part of my series 
dealing with uh, mental illness and has been a very um, interesting, diverse, and illuminating uh, series and, and uh, discussion. So, and I hope uh, this um, is very fruitful and helpful for anyone who wants to avail themselves of uh, listening. I hope so too. Thanks uh, very to much, podcast. Jeffrey. Thank you, Jeffrey. Bye bye. Bye bye. You're welcome. And that's it, folks. Uh, the last and third part of the series on demystifying uh, and destigmatizing mental illness. And uh, that was it. If you would like more information on the recovery program, you can go to www.recovery.ca or www.recovery dot org for the uh, international site and phyllis taylor could be reached at her email address at imagine dot this at rogers dot com so i hope you enjoyed this episode and um that's it and um looking forward to another season of one uh, a uh, piece of my mind. This is J. Lawrence Weinstein, a.k.a. Jeffrey Lawrence, signing out.